0: Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari.
1: Hello and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari and today I am sitting here with Ashley Ford. Thank you so much for joining me, Ashley. Thank
0: you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. So Ashley is the CEO of Pretty Penny. Uh, Ashley is an expert in small business accounting, a QuickBooks guru, and has worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs to transform the way they make and spend money in their businesses. She knows the financial... She knows that financial clarity is the key to sustainable success and is obsessed with helping women in business succeed. So thank you so much for joining us because this is one of those topics that I absolutely love talking about on the podcast because it's it's genuinely one of the reasons why I started it. So Ooh, I
0: love to hear that and I love talking yeah. about it too. So I'm glad yeah. we're sure in that boat and hopefully we're not scaring anybody away with the money yeah. talk.
1: <laughs> well, and that, you know, and I'll tell you why because one of my frustrations in, you know, being you know, what I consider like a suburban mom in the mom circles is that there's so many taboo topics, right? Like I call it the bus stop crew. Like when my son was little and I would Mm -hmm. still walk him to the bus stop, the bus stop crew would talk about teachers and grades and sports and husbands and like nothing that related to business or you know financial you know or stock markets or politics or anything like that like there's a whole like taboo collection of things that women just don't talk about in like what I what I call the mom circles right yeah. and so i i really started the podcast because i thought women need a great Safe place to talk about things like success and business and finance and all of those things that are kind of not acceptable for social parties and you know gatherings and stuff like that unless you're around a lot of powerful women. So I wanted to make this the safe space, right? The safe space Absolutely. to say, "Hey, I am a true badass, and here's what I'm thinking today. <laughs> <You> know,
0: like, <laughs> here's what
1: I. Here's the challenge I need help with." Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of where this all came from and so I love that you have a business that is truly empowering women to understand and take take control of their finances.
0: Yeah, and I love that you've created this space for women to really come and talk about whatever their sort of zone of genius is and how that contributes to other women and the workforce and just in In this space in general. So I think it's incredible that you are giving women a space to really come and talk about some higher level topics where we really get to dig in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So let's start by what drew you into finance to begin with.
0: So I actually started off in college as an architectural engineering major. Okay. Um, I thought I wanted to design and build houses for a living. Mm. And it's still a big dream of mine to be able to do that for my own house someday, But I had sort of this math brain and was trying to figure out where to put that, right? And Mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure, but I was very much shying away from accounting because I didn't want like a stereotypical accounting job. I didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle in the back of an office, or I didn't want to be sort of like the principal's office for businesses to go to, you know, (laughs) it'd be this like intimidating conversation Mm -hmm. with clients. And so everything I kind of knew about accounting, I was sort of trying to push that out of the picture. Like, that's not really what I want to do. And then I had an accounting course in college and just excelled at it and was like, okay, this makes total sense. This is really where I need to be. Mm -hmm. And so I really dove all in and just kind of made the decision at that point that I would not be sort of your typical accountant. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to sort of separate myself from the stereotype of accounting and still get to do something that I love and do it in a way that I love. And so my whole sort of career has been about trying to find this, trying to find my own way in this accounting world to really be who I am, who's sort of like a cheesy, bubbly, social kind of person, which isn't your typical accountant. Right, Um, right. So sort of like finding my own space in this industry and taking what I'm good at and being able to share that with other people. That's my favorite part about what I do.
1: Very cool. And I love that you went down the entrepreneurial path because, you know, the amount of courage that that takes alone, you know, in, in, you know, you're a people person, but you're also a numbers person and you, you probably see better than anybody, the financial risk that's involved with entrepreneurialism. Right. And so taking that, you know, having the courage to go down that path. So kudos to you. That's awesome.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My parents owned small businesses and right out of college, I worked for a CPA firm and then another small business. So I really had my eyes open to what it looks like to work inside of a small firm and for a small, sort of a small business. And so then stepping in to be able to build my own, I felt like I had sort of a good skeleton of what that would look like, Mm -hmm. but entrepreneurial, you know, like being an entrepreneur allows you to really create that, that reality for yourself. Well, good
1: for you. I love that. So, so you're the CEO of Pretty Penny and Pretty Penny really kind of specializes in that small business market. Is that right? right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So when you are working with small businesses, what do you find to be kind of a trend of small businesses in the way that they're doing finances?
0: So I see, I, we work with, um, We work with mainly women in the small business space, so female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing I see the most is sort of trying to avoid it as long as possible (laughs) until there's like this pain point that bubbles up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So whether that pain point is running out of cash or cash flow is getting tight or having to make really big decisions and feeling like you need sort of numbers to be able to back those big decisions mm-hmm. or there's a third party that's needing information whether it's they're trying to get a business loan or a house loan or they have a buyer trying to buy their business or they're taking on investors like whatever it is they have some sort of third party that's looking in and needs to see the information and they're like I think I should also understand yeah <laughs> what, this, <laughs> what this business finance uh-huh. thing is Um, So I really feel like the biggest thing that I see in the clients that we serve is some form of sort of avoidance or wanting to just pass the baton to somebody else, whether it's a partner of theirs or, you know, someone that they've hired, they're like, you just take care of it. I don't want to have to really deal with it at all. Mm -hmm. And so we really try to bridge that gap and say, we'll take care of it for you. But also we want you to have a close eye on what's going on and really understand the numbers in your business so that you can be a really informed business owner, and scale the way that you want to because in order to do that you've got to have some clarity around the finances you've got to, it's a skill set that everyone can learn sometimes they just need to be taught in the right way right. so um just understanding it's a skill set that as entrepreneurs we have to have
1: yeah absolutely so i there's so many kind of this um idea that, you know, women have more challenges when it comes to getting loans, getting banking, getting financing, all of these things. Have you found that to be true at all?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we see it all the time. Um, And I think it happens in different industries more than others and in different places more than others. Like in bigger cities, it can be a little easier and smaller towns. It can be a little bit more difficult and what i will say is that if you are a woman in business and you are facing that difficulty the more that you understand your own numbers the more a bank is going to have confidence or a lender is going to have confidence in you as a business owner and in mm-hmm. those financials so even taking the steps like we try to encourage our clients don't just say well I have someone else that handles that really take the time to work with us to understand the the numbers in your business so that you can confidently communicate those um yeah. because i think that just shows confidence to the lender
1: yeah i i agree with you yeah it is a challenge i mean i i've told the story before on the podcast that the first time I opened my my business, I had a business bank account that was just you know the same bank that I used for my personal banking. And then, um, as I got bigger and I was getting bigger clients, you know the 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 receivables were you know a month or two months out, and meanwhile I have to make payroll every two weeks, and so it was starting yeah. to really become a money crunch. So I go to my bank and I ask them I don't know probably six or seven different times if I could get a line of credit and every single time they turned me down and finally I, I was in my accountant's office one day and I was you know he was doing my taxes and, and he's looking at cash flow he's like how are you managing and I'm like well usually I get through payroll on a hope and a prayer <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I just, and, and he's like no that's not acceptable why don't you get a line of credit and I said I've begged for a line of credit he made one phone call and made the line of credit happen, but it's a command to step in and say, give this woman a line of credit. The contracts are there. The receivables are there. Like there's literally her credit is good. There's literally no reason to say no. And so it, um, yeah, it took that, which was just discouraging, but also like, finally I had a little bit of a cushion, um, and it enabled me to grow, but, that's one of the issues that we face as women, right? Is that, you know, well, are you sure you're qualified? Are you sure you're competent? <laughs> it's like yeah. having to sell yourself. It's not, it's not fair.
0: And how frustrating is that? Because our counterpart, you know, the men in business, they don't have to go in with that much confidence. They just no. say, I'm a man, give me some money. And they're like, okay, here you go. Right, right. It blows my mind that it wasn't that long ago that women couldn't get a business loan without yeah. a male co or credit card without a male co signer. Yeah. I mean, it just literally had to have some man in our lives sign it. And they were like, okay, we trust you enough to give it yeah. to you.
1: We weren't even allowed to have a bank account. Right. Yeah. Like we weren't which even allowed to have a bank account, you know, during our parents' generation, yeah. there were women who could not have a bank account, you know, they, unless they had a male cosigner on the bank account. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. But, I think it yeah. was until the 90s and early 2000s that you couldn't have a, you couldn't have any sort of business loan, line of credit, business credit mm-hmm. card without a male signing on there, which is, you know, it feels like we should have come so far past that, but it definitely is still lingering. Yeah, for
1: sure. So, um, so let's dive into QuickBooks. And because I know a lot of small businesses still use QuickBooks, we still use QuickBooks. And, you know, for me, I love the simplicity of it. I've looked at other kind of online, and it just, you know, every business has its different needs, right? So um, QuickBooks has a lot of great tools that I think uh, work well for small businesses, I think it has a little ways to go, there's some frustrations with it. But um, I have you found that most small businesses are still kind of using platforms like that to keep organized, or are they using like Excel?
0: I highly recommend QuickBooks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have worked in tons and tons of different accounting platforms in online spaces and ones that are on people's desktop. I mean, I like truly so many different accounting softwares, and I always come back to recommending QuickBooks because they continue to improve it. So even though there are still some things that can be frustrating, they've improved it a lot and they're always trying to make it easier on the small business. Mm -hmm. And I think when it's, when it's in the early stages, sort of when a business is just getting started, sometimes Excel or tracking it on some sheet like that can be the default, yeah. which I think is great if you're tracking it at all. So I never want to yeah. like turn <laughs> right. people off from doing something. Yeah. But it is, it does take so much more time to track it on something like Excel than it does just investing in a software like QuickBooks and being able to use something in the online space that can easily track all that information for you can spit out reports, can really give you helpful financial data. That's going to help you make decisions in your business Mm. rather than having it on an Excel sheet that you're having to like update daily or then try to go back and update a long period of time and then make decisions based off of, off of, off of what you have built out in Excel is a lot more difficult for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as somebody who specializes in finance for small businesses, what would be like three things that you would tell entrepreneurs as they're starting a new business for, you know, when it comes to managing finances?
0: Oh, yeah. So my first one is to separate business and personal. Mm-hmm. That is something that we see really often the the further you get in your business with your business and personal finances combined Mm-hmm. the more difficult it becomes to separate it out and it really yeah. starts to affect the cash flow on your personal side and or on the business side mm-hmm. um if you have everything kind of in one account or on one credit card it's really hard to see like how much of this is really for personal how much of this is for business and as those expenses get higher it becomes m- increasingly difficult to really tell those things apart Um, and it's also, if you have an LLC, if you've registered for an LLC in your state, it's required to separate your business from your personal. So for a lot of different reasons, i really suggest that from like as early as you can in your business to separate all of your finances. Mm -hmm. And the second part is to really have some way of tracking your income and expenses. So we just talked about QuickBooks. That's what I recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, but having some form of some platform where you're actually going in and consistently tracking your income and expenses. And then the last part is just to remember that business is a marathon. Like we're in this for the long haul and you don't have to know everything from the very beginning, but if you can consistently get better at it, if you can stay consistent with learning more about your business finances, consistent with tracking it, consistent with better understanding the money in your business, you're just gonna be so much better off in the long run. Um the issues that I see a lot of times will spin from people not keeping that consistency and they're trying to look at things every six months or just during tax season. And that causes right. a lot of stress, a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of headaches. The m- more we can avoid that, the better
1: yeah, I agree with you. well, and and I think going back to the LLC thing, and I'm not an attorney and I'm not giving business advice, but I think that if you're not separating your personal and your business, it becomes harder to defend yourself in a lawsuit. is that right? So yeah, yeah. because because at that point, like the LLC is to protect you financially and to protect your assets, but if you're blending them, then you're kind of making personal assets part of your business. Right. So, so yeah, that that's what I've heard on, you know, having to, when you have an LLC, it is really, really important to keep those separate.
0: Yeah. And you're exactly right. It's called piercing the corporate veil. And so Mm -hmm. whenever you have an LLC, you kind of build this veil or this wall between you and your business. They're really separated. But when you, keep everything combined. And there's a lot of stuff moving back and forth. If you can think of yourself, like I always picture like in a courtroom, if you had an attorney on the other side and you were trying to say, no, well, this, we have one account that has everything in it. And you say, well, this, this expense is personal and this is business and this is personal and this is business. Their argument is going to be, it's all mixed together. We don't know what's business and what's Mm -hmm. personal. So we're going to take everything that's in there and have that be a part of the lawsuit. And that's what we don't want. We want it to be super clear cut. Like this stuff is with the business. This stuff is with the personal. So then Mm -hmm. it's really obvious what they have access to in the lawsuit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So just one more way to protect ourselves, you know, in case there is some kind of major issue. So yeah. yeah, good advice. So as we're going through and building businesses and we're getting bigger, um, what are your recommendations in terms of financing a business? What are the best ways for a small business to get financing, whether it's investors or banks or loans or fraction, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Um, What's the, th- the invoices, you know what I mean? The
0: oh when you factor factoring. Your invoices, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: um yeah.
0: what what are your
1: what are your recommendations as somebody in finance?
0: So it totally depends on what the business's goal is and mm-hmm. what type of industry you're in. So for example, the last one you just kind of mentioned is factoring invoices. Right. If you are in a really invoice heavy sort of industry and you have these really large or a a lot of small invoices that you're sending out and your customers typically don't pay for maybe more than 30 days. Like maybe Mm. your invoicing structure is where you send an invoice and they pay you in 90 days for whatever reason. That's when factoring can really come into play because you're going to get paid on those invoices a lot quicker, but that doesn't necessarily work for all industries or just all businesses. So it really depends on sort of what your goals are getting money in like sort of infused into your business, whether that's from investors or from a bank or just from any sort of third party is a way to grow faster. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we can grow based on the revenue that you have sort of building into the business. Um, It's just going to take you longer to get to where you want to go. But we have to make sure that if you're going to sort of infuse that money into your business and you're ready to grow pretty quickly, that you have the systems and people in place that can support that growth. Right. A lot of times people go into, I just need more cash and that will get me closer to my goal. But we can get ourselves sort of upside down if our business isn't set up to really support the growth that we're using that cash for. Yeah. So there's just so many different factors, I think, that go into it. And it really depends on who the business owner is, what their goals are, and how quickly they're wanting to get there. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier that entrepreneurship, I really see it as more of like a marathon than a sprint. And I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people get into business and want quick cash. You know, they're like, right, I just have this business idea. I want to make cash as quickly as I yeah. can. <laughs> and yeah. yeah those people are funny (laughs) yeah and I can I can I get it right like Mm -hmm. what don't we all sort of want that to an Mm -hmm. extent but the truly successful businesses are the ones who are really in it for the long haul they're looking much further down the road and they're setting themselves up for success as they go and really strategically infusing money into the business where it makes sense and where they know they'll be able to pay that back
1: Well, and I think we see that a lot with, uh, with these tech companies, right? Like they go and get like a $300,000, you know, fundraising round and they hire like, I don't know, 10 times more employees than they actually need. Meanwhile, their actual infrastructure is not really set up for the growth that they need. They just have a whole bunch of employees
0: and don't know what to do. Awesome (laughs) culture.
1: You know, they've got like, coffee and babysitting and gyms and all this stuff and nothing to do because they yep. don't have the infrastructure to support it. Yeah. And I've right. seen, and then on the flip side of that, I've seen uh, companies that kind of succeed themselves into bankruptcy, right? Like wow. you're growing, growing, yeah. growing so fast. And all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, I don't have enough cash flow yeah, to continue. Right. And like, we were almost in that situation. We were almost in the situation where we had great revenue but all the revenue that we had was on such a long invoice timeline yeah. that we're having to pay payroll and not getting these Before. invoices paid and so we actually had to change our whole billing structure and as a small business you know hopefully you have clients who understand that because we went from a 30 day um net to a 15 and we just explained it like, look, we're a small business. And, you know, those 30 days, I can't afford to finance your, you know, your, yep. your receivables. <laughs> and yeah, so that's what exactly doing, really is, you know, it's costing me X amount of dollars in in line of credit to finance that money for them. And that's essentially what you're doing as a small business. And so you really have to get on the same page, you know, whether it's, you know, payment up front or partial payment up front or whatever that's going to take to generate cash flow in your business.
0: Yeah. And I think to your point, I mean, you said it so well, and then even in your example, in your own business, how you were able to get the line of credit, I think a lot of times people shy away from taking any debt. Yeah, mm-hmm. When, you know, you really have to shift your mindset around that because the debt that you're taking is helping you grow something that's going to continue making you money. So yeah. it really is you investing in your business. It's you trusting that this business is going somewhere. It's growing. We want to invest in its growth. Um, So we don't want to shy away from taking debt. We just want to make sure we're doing it in a way that's strategic for the business.
1: That's right. And the nice thing about a line of credit is that you're not really paying for it, right? Like you're only paying for what you use. You might pay an annual fee to have it. But, you know, that's it's it's what's in my opinion, I like it better than a loan because a loan you're paying on all the time, whether you're using it or not. Right. And it's just sitting in your bank and unless your interest rate is generating you more than, you know, what you're paying for interest, um, you know, you're not earning more interest than you're paying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, yeah. So a line of credit has been my way to go and grow to, um, uh, grow a little bit bigger, but I also spent the first three years of my business really not taking a salary. So, you know, when you were talking about, um, entrepreneurs who expect money right away. Like I see that so many times, like, okay, well, you think I can generate income in like 30 days? I'm like, <laughs> 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 you might <laughs> you might get the income, but you'll have to spend it. <laughs> like, It's yeah. not going to be, you know, pocket money. This is not money you get to go and spend. You're, you're reinvesting back into your business for, for a good while, you for know, until time. you're really at a, at a stage where you can pay yourself a reasonable income. I mean, I was paying myself like $24,000 a year for the first three years. You know, and, you know, I could I could only afford at one point two years in like a part time office manager, you know, and like just y- you have to be really, really careful. And most of it was because I couldn't get in investors and I couldn't get bank loans and I couldn't, you know, get a line of credit. And so it was I'd get ten dollars in and put $10 back into the business. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like None of that went into my pocket. Right. So, yeah. So you have to be kind of scrappy if you want to, you know, grow totally. your business, but you're right. It's totally a marathon. It, it's a marathon and you have to really be ready for that. And, you know, financially prepared for the hit that you're going to take personally in growing your business in a smart and reasonable way.
0: Yeah. And just dedicated for those sacrifices. It's not always going to be easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I love that TikTok has um, convinced everybody that they can make, (laughs) you know, six figures in 48 hours doing these random online things. It's it's Mm -hmm. hysterical. And I'm like, well, nobody tells you how long it took them to do that. But they're making a lot of money off of that video you just watched.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot, yeah. I think there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes that people don't see. So then it's a yeah. little deceiving when you see something that's like, oh, I just made this overnight when really yeah. they've likely been working on that for a while, you know, uh-huh. years probably to really get to the point that they're at. Yeah, yeah. But I wish,
1: you know, for me, I I want the I want people to come out and talk about how real life is, you know, real mm-hmm. business, real finance, you know, real struggle in business. Because I think I, I read a quote today and I absolutely love it. And it's something like, um, uh if you want to celebrate full victory put full effort into it because that's where mm. the real re- reward is at the end of it is putting the full effort in and then receiving the full victory because it you it means so much more
0: yeah. yeah i i love that and i don't think i've ever met an entrepreneur who hasn't grown personally while building their business you know yeah. you have to learn so many different things that you never thought you would have to learn and you really have to become such a good problem solver and really have a tough exterior. And a, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you, you grow, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you grow personally through the process. And so I do also think, I think the success is in that growth. It's in yeah. that process.
1: Absolutely. And I think it makes you a better entrepreneur, right? Like yeah. when you're, when you're bootstrapping and figuring it out and having to be creative financially and you're having to really kind of make the pieces work in the puzzle versus getting an, uh, influx of cash and you have like oh great I have all this cash now I got to figure out how to spend it like that leads to a different type of entrepreneur right yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. not the most responsible entrepreneur perhaps so, like the entrepreneur is like oh I got to go spend 300 million dollars what can I do you know I can, <laughs> I can add a ferris wheel into our office you know like yes you know, <laughs>
0: it's so silly <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so- and I think that the habits that people build and the structures that people build when you are being scrappy and when you're bootstrapping it and the, the really the, the financial tools, truthfully, that you build when you're being yeah. scrappy – are what help you when you have a lot of money, that's because right. you're able to manage it well and continue growing, and not just feel like, well, now we got all this money, let's buy a Ferris wheel. You're like, right, right. let's <laughs> take this and invest it in a way that's going to help us keep growing.
1: Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, I've seen that so many times, and and I have so much respect for people who bootstrap and build their business and then make something of themselves. You know, it's it's a different it's a different type of entrepreneur when it's handed to you. I just yeah. don't think there there's as much sustainability in that. But absolutely, that's my opinion. I'm sure the entrepreneurs <laughs> who are taking VC money would disagree with me. <laughs> but uh, so what obstacles and challenges have you found um, as you're building your, your business?
0: I think the biggest one for me has been really learning leadership skills Uh and developing myself as a leader. I got into, I started my business before I was ever a manager of any teams or anything like that. So I had sort of trained people in old roles, but I'd never managed a team of people. So as Uh I've started hiring and have a team of employees now, it's just been a total mindset shift of like, Developing a skill set that I didn't really have coming into yeah. entrepreneurship, which you know, is just like the roller coaster of entrepreneurship on its own. Like developing skill sets that we don't, we you don't realize you don't have it until you're jumping into that role and you're like, wow, this is something where I'm really lacking. And yeah. so I think that's been a big obstacle for me and like learning how to hire the right people, learning how to let people go if it's not working, um, learning how to train and build. Also, in a total we are completely virtual, so building a team and keeping them engaged in a virtual environment um has really just been an interesting process and a skill set that I've had to develop
1: Wow, it's very cool. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, when I first started my company, I had mostly had—I um, might have had a few employees in my other companies, but this one, I—you know—we have a few hundred employees, and at no point did I ever think that we had—we would have this many employees. And they all have, you know, different things, right? Like I'm a single parent, and I have, you know, mm-hmm. this, or I live here, I—you know, it, it, there's there's just a million things that come up, and I'm like. I don't know that I'm equipped to manage all of this, right? <laughs> and so because I'm a very hands-off, like don't like to micromanage. And when I do have to micromanage, I get really irritated about it because mm-hmm. I mean, so it's like I, I could have not have agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm not the best manager. So I've been I've stepped out of that role for the most part in my company because I know it's not my um it's not my strong suit. So Um,
0: okay. But I totally, I totally, I mean, I am like the furthest thing from a micromanager and I've just found there are certain times that you do have to really step into that sort of role of, of micromanaging in a way that doesn't, you know, in a way that keeps a good balance, a good culture. And so like really trying to balance all of that out is it's. It's a fine balance.
1: It really is, and and I think my personality type doesn't really lend to empathy a whole lot. And like <laughs> I have this ENTJ personality type, and so like I'm a get it done, be efficient, be competent. And when somebody's like, oh, I can't figure this out, I'm like, What do you mean you can't figure it out? You yeah. <laughs> not know this? <laughs> so, I'm like, Google it. I mean, for what why do you have to call me? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. um, Google is our friend. You like, know? It, I'm like like, listen, if you're going to yeah. ask me the same question, you can ask Google and you can find the same answer. I'm going to Yes, super, let's make sure great.
0: we're asking Google first. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So who inspires you?
0: I pull inspiration from all different kinds of business owners that I meet. I mean, I mm. truly, one of my favorite things is just hearing stories from different business owners about how they got started, how they've overcome obstacles. But um, I'd said earlier, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My mom has owned a few businesses and she owns um, two businesses now, two bakeries. And she has just been like a true inspiration through my whole business. She's had a lot of experience. So she's able to really coach me through experiences, but mm. she also is just like, has so much faith in the process. She's always just like, go, you know, her motto, her motto is like, just go do it. Just go figure it out. You know, like, don't, don't hold yourself back. Don't overthink it. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, hold, don't be the one that's holding you from, from getting closer to whatever your goals are. Just, you'll go figure it out. Just jump in head first. And so that has always been so inspiring to me because she's truly lived that. I mean, she's like always jumping into new challenges and just figuring it out as she goes. And, awesome. uh, so it's just been awesome to like have her in my court yeah. and kind of supporting me as I've built my business.
1: That is so cool. I love that. And I love that. It's your mom who's, you yeah. know, who's doing that. That's so very cool. So, you know, as women, we give our power away all the time, right? Like we might take criticism. We might, you know, let somebody take credit for something that we did. So can you tell me about a time that you gave your power away and then another time that maybe you stepped
0: into your power? I love this question. I really, I think when I think of a time that I gave my power away, it was truly just when I didn't have control over my own life. And for yeah. me, that looked like working in sort of an unfulfilling job um, and just sort of letting my life take control of itself or let other pe- letting other people really have a say in what my future was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And I feel I don't think I realized at the time that that was me really giving my power away to just the people that I worked for and the people in my life who were sort of like pulling strings like this is just what you do next this is where you go but I was so I felt like I was sorting, sort of just letting my life happen and when I really took control of that um for me part of that was just starting my own business and really picking my own path mm-hmm. now I have so much control over my life in the ways that we can have control, right? But really a lot of control of my life. And I can't imagine giving that back up now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you a hundred percent there. I know I've, I've said all the time, like for me, I like to be in control of my own destiny. And even though I can't yeah. predict the future and I totally. can't, you know, a hundred percent prevent anything crazy from happening. I also know that I'm the driver behind it. Right. And, you know, it's, it's really up to me on how hard and fast I want to run. And, you know, if I need to stop and take a break, that's okay too. Yeah.
0: Because whenever I wasn't in the driver's seat, it wasn't leading to anything super fulfilling. So being able to now have, you know, be in that driver's seat and have control over it. And something I see a lot just when it comes to finances is a lot of times women will sort of give their power to a partner or a male in their life to handle the finance, Mm. finances in their business, the finances Mm. in their life. And I truly feel like when Even if you still have someone else that maybe handles the day-to-day for you, whenever you can really regain power of what that's going to look like and build financial freedom for yourself, that in and of itself can give you more control over your life. It can give you more choice, I think is really when I say control, I mean, you have way more choice whenever you have built financial freedom for yourself and you don't have someone else that's really managing it all for you and and kind of telling you what you can and can't do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would really, really encourage anyone to understand what the finances looking, look like in your personal life, because that's, that was, you know, what you were just saying really resonated with me because there was a time when I was married, I had, you know, thought my, my, ex-husband now but he was you know he was the, the more responsible the more financially savvy of of the two of us you know when it came to you know he didn't have any debt and he was really good at managing all of his his finances and i just thought okay good i hate that stuff i'm not going to bother with it i'm just going to let him do it and then you know a few years go by and we're getting a divorce and i'm realizing that He's basically like indicated that I didn't have an income for the past couple of years, even though I was 51% owner of our company and highly involved in every single day-to-day operation thing that we did. Yeah. And it just made sense for him. And I don't think if there was any malice in it, but, oh, she'll just be a dependent and, you know, mm-hmm. I'll get a hundred percent of the income because we're in an LLC and it's going to go, you know, to me anyway. But I was just so furious because what ended up happening is, you know, if something were to happen to him, it looks like I have no credit. And so when we went to go apply for a mortgage, it looked like I didn't have any job (laughs) or income or, or, you know, credit or anything. And so that was a huge learning opportunity for me where I just said never again, never again will I trust 100% that somebody is going to be managing my best interest in any relationship, whether it's a business relationship, a marriage, you know, whatever that is. So, yeah, you have to know, you have to understand, you know, where you stand financially.
0: Because you just never know what's going to happen. And you don't Mm -hmm. want that to be the time when you have to go figure it all out and understand. If you can have a grasp on it, then you can be part of that decision making part of the process. And Mm -hmm. then you get to have that choice and control over what your path is going to look like.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it may have saved us a few bucks in taxes. But at the end of the day, you know, for me personally, it was detrimental for me, you know, in my financial, you know, ability to get a, a loan or, you know, apply for a mortgage or anything like that. And so, you know, again, probably not done in malice, but looking back, it was a bad idea that, you know, this was never discussed between the two of us. And, you know, it could have led to some really bad things. So,
0: Yeah. And like you said, just a learning opportunity to know that going forward, we got I got to have eyes on just so you can understand sort of what's happening. Yes, absolutely. So what advice would you give to 18 year old you? Mm. I think this comes from my mom, but just to just to go for it, just to not stress over what the whole future is going to look like, not stress over what you're going to do for the rest of your life, because we really don't ever know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, the the business that she owns now, she started, s- I guess it's been eight or nine years now. And before that lived a completely different life with different businesses. I mean, you just truly don't know how your life is going to evolve. And I think 18 year old me was very set on like, what's the rest of this path going to look like? Right. <laughs> I have to make sure I'm doing every single thing to get me closer to whatever that's going to look like. And so mm-hmm. now, um, I, just telling my younger self to just jump in, follow your heart, you know, and like really go with what feels good and just Mm. learn along the way. And don't be so afraid of, of what that end is going to look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was the same way. I felt like I needed to have all the answers at 18. Yeah. And you just don't know how your journey is going to develop. No. Yeah. Which is the best part. It really is the best part. Like I would have never predicted this, you know, where I'm at today would have never, ever occurred to me. Um, at 18, because at 18, yeah. I still didn't know anything. You think right. you know everything, but
0: Oh, you, <laughs> you think know you know, everything. And then think each year know. after that, you just realize that you don't know everything. Yeah, exactly.
1: I feel dumber now than I ever have in my life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like I actually know nothing. Yeah, exactly. So clearly I
1: am not informed about anything. Um, <laughs> so, so what do you wish more people knew?
0: I wish more people knew that having a strong understanding of the finances in your business and really working on improving your mindset around money can be an absolute game changer in your business and in your life. I think absolutely we downplay I think we downplay the effect that financial stress can have on our mental health and just on ourselves as a whole. And I think when people think of like self-care and and taking care of themselves and really taking time for themselves. Money is usually not a part of that. And I wish right. that more people knew to make make self make finances part of your self-care, really mm-hmm. getting to know your finances, improving your financial situation, improving your mindset around the finances that you have, um, and really just better understanding that piece of your life can lead to a ton of different definitions of financial freedom, but can really like can lead to freedom a freedom a feeling of freedom around finances yeah. which can completely change your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, and so I have one more question and this is kind of just more of, you know, what's going on in our current world right now. Banks are collapsing. So, how do we protect ourselves? Because one thing I will tell you that I just read and it was just shocking was when Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. Um, you know, the FDIC insures up to $250,000 of deposits. So 93% of the money that was in Silicon Valley Bank was not insured. So, you know, if you've got $10 million in the bank, congratulations, we're going to give you $250,000 of that back. (laughs) So what advice would you give to people? Um, in the wake of what's going on financially right now.
0: Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. And the FDIC has come out and said that they're going to get everyone all of their money back, which I hope is true. And I hope yeah. they hold to that um, for the businesses that had their money in the bank. But this is, I mean, the minute that I really heard the news, it was like an immediate add to the advice that I give my clients. We I talk to my clients a lot about having sort of different savings accounts and planning for the unexpected. You know, when the pandemic happened, I'd never really coached my clients on setting a certain amount into a savings every single month and just really getting in the habit of setting that money aside until we have a certain amount that we feel good about. Um, And that was like a huge add on when the pandemic happened is to really make sure that they're not just building a rainy day fund in their personal life, but in their business as well. So then when I saw this news, I was like, Oh, just add it to, what what businesses really need to do, but it's it's diversify where you keep your money. Yeah. Because there is a huge benefit in working with some of these smaller banks. They usually can give you some more funding than sometimes the bigger banks mm-hmm. can do. You can have a better relationship with your banker. So I even recommend for people often to have some sort of account at a smaller bank. But What this has taught me is that we don't need to keep everything there and for sure not over the FDIC insured limit, but Mm -hmm. to really diversify where you keep your money, which is smart from a banking perspective anyway, because then you have relationships with multiple banks. Right. So, Mm -hmm. should you need a loan or a line of credit, you have multiple people that you can go ask where you keep your money. But it's really just diversifying where it's kept so that if something like this happens, I mean, even if those people get their money back from the FDIC, they still have to make payroll like today, you know, exactly. like they still have to find yeah. the cash because mm-hmm. that can't just stop. We're not like, okay, everybody, we're just not going to pay you until yeah. we figure this out. You Don't know? worry.
1: The government will come and help us at some point, maybe. <laughs> at some point. To-
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Know. So even just to have that fallback somewhere else where you have access to that cash, if something mm-hmm. were to happen, um, I think has got to be like a necessity at this point.
1: Yeah, I just I just transferred money and I did the same thing. Is I was like, ooh I better move a little bit of this because we need an emergency payroll, you know, like we, we want enough in our bank account to have an emergency payroll in a couple different banks. So that just in case, you know, because I'm a big fan of, of small banks too, you know, when I first started my business, I was with a big national bank and that was the one I had the most challenges with getting a line of credit and it was building. Now I am so grateful because I have a really, really good relationship with the branch manager at my bank. And so- Yeah. Mine is a community bank. I can go in, I can talk with her, I can ask her how her kids are doing, you know, and she asks about my son and, you know, it's like, that's the kind of business banking relationship you want. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, that's also where you've got to also
0: be careful about how
1: much money is in there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just keep your business protected. Mm. And I think I think it's about that protection, obviously, but then also the stress off of our back of like, what if something like this were to happen again, we've got to, we've got to feel confident knowing that we have set things up to protect ourselves as much as we can. Right,
1: right. And I, and I tell people advocate for yourself because, you know, nobody else is going to be looking out for me like, Hey, you know what? I think maybe, you know, you should diversify your money. Like we have got to be, um, kind of Debbie Downers when it comes to what if scenarios, but like I live by them. I live by the, you know, we also, I own a security company. So I kind of have to look at the you totally. know, worst case scenario in a many, many, many cases, but that also applies to your own business and finances and things that you think are protected. Like what if cyber, you know, there was a cyber attack. What if this right. and your money gets locked up, even if it's temporarily, you still got to make payroll. You still got to pay bills. You still got to keep the lights on. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Doesn't
0: stop.
1: Mm-mm, nope. Nope. And, and hey, sorry, we got hacked is not an yeah. excuse. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, so. No one else is going to care about that nope. over here. Nope. nope but yeah, nope. I totally agree. Just finding ways to protect yourself so that you can feel good just in case worst case scenario happens. You know, even if you're not set forever, you at least yeah. have a plan to kind of get you by.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, you know, it was kind of a downer way to to end the podcast, but you know, I think it's just one of those things is just so, 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 so important. And, you know, yeah. we're not talking enough about it. And I think we're not talking enough about, you know, uh, long term, you know, how do I constantly protect myself? It's one thing to generate revenue for a business, it's a whole other thing to be looking at protection of your your assets. So totally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. i really enjoyed it. Absolutely. So um, again, this is uh, Ashley Ford and she's with Pretty Penny and you can check her out on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.
0: Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out
1: this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com.
0: Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.